energy. The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. We've got a full show today, all 90 minutes. We need all 90 minutes. we got a lot going on. We're going to talk with former NFL offensive lineman, former Patriots offensive lineman, Ross Tucker, in about 15 minutes. We'll get you ready for the Super Bowl. We kick off our Super Bowl week coverage, talk some Patriots and Super Bowl with Ross at 6.30. Former NBA assistant general manager Bobby Marks is going to be with us. We'll talk about the Kyrie Irving trade and some Celtic stuff as well. An interesting opinion piece on the state of high school athletics from uh, the county courier and our guy Ben Kaufman up there. So lots to get to over the course of the next 90 minutes. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also watch us every single day, Facebook Live, YouTube Live as well. Get your comments in. Texter says you need to change your intro to the show again. Yes, 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 we do. Yes, the intro needs to be updated about every two months. We're on month two and a half now, so... Yes, we know. It's on the to-do list. Trust me. So uh, on that note, happy Monday. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to explain what's happening this week briefly. This is our third consecutive year of doing this, our third consecutive year of what we call Radio Row at Home. And the goal of this week is to bring you simply the biggest names and the best guests that we can possibly find. Our goal is not to overload the show. We don't want to have five guests a show, maybe two maybe three, but nonetheless, we want our guests this week to be cream of the crop. Some of them will have great local ties, some names you haven't heard from in a while. Some of them will have great national tie-ins as well, but we want to bring you the biggest names and the best guests that we possibly can. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year, but it's also a week that has really changed for me and I'll tell you why. It's changed for me recently. If you are listening this week to any national radio show, almost any national radio show, almost all of them are in Phoenix or in Glendale near the Super Bowl site, right? The Dan Patrick show, the Pat McAfee show, nearly anyone who's anyone is at the Super Bowl site. And then there's the biggest names and the best guests there too, right? Biggest names in sports media, biggest names in NFL media, entertainers, actors, actresses, football players currently, football players of the past, Hall of Famers. Doesn't matter. The scene in Phoenix is crazy. 
and there's all the media there to talk to all of these people. Well, we are recreating that here, right? If you're in Glendale, biggest names, best guess, but you're restricted to who's on site. Here, we're at home, biggest names, best guess, whoever we want. I love Super Bowl week. I love talking with people. I love schmoozing with people. I love meeting big wigs. I love meeting Hall of Famers. That's all great. That's great for me. It's not necessarily great for you, though. So about three years ago, we came up with the idea of Radio Row at Home, in which we can, we think we can bring you the biggest names and best guests, but we can tailor it to people you might be interested in. Because here's how Radio Row works, right? Radio Row works by you just talk to whoever's there. And there, I've spent many a Radio Row. I've been to Radio Row four times. I've spent many a Radio Row talking to some backup tight end on the Browns. I've been to Radio Row many times and talked to some backup offensive lineman that most of you have never heard of. And yes, I've talked to Hall of Famers and Miss America. I've talked to all those people. But I've also talked to a lot of people and comedians that you don't really care about. So we decided that when I got to DEV that we were going to bring you the feel of it, but we were going to do it at home and we were going to give you some of, the, some of that experience without the people that you don't care about. Sounds like a good plan to me. Sounds like a fair deal to me as well. It is really fun to be at Radio Row and be in the middle of the hubbub. And the first time I ever got to go, man, I thought I had made it. I thought it was so cool. And I remember talking to Curtis Martin and Too Tall Jones and John Hanna and uh, sitting next to Emmett Smith and sitting next to Joe Buck and talking to Joe Buck and eating lunch next to Troy Aikman. That was really, really cool, and it's really fun to name drop on those kind of stories. It doesn't do a whole lot, though, for our listeners. So we're trying to do more for our listeners this year. I don't think that we need to go to Radio Row to bring you cool coverage. And the other thing that we're able to cut out is the way radio works is this. All those people are there. Most of them are there because they're being paid to be there. So you're going to talk to Marshawn Lynch for eight minutes, and that's cool. But the last two are going to be about Skittles because that's who's paying for them. And I remember Fred Jackson, the old Bills running back, and he was wearing a Toyota shirt, and you had to ask him a question about Toyota. And when I interviewed Curtis Martin, he was talking about a different kind of football helmet. And Mike Haynes, the old Patriots uh, defensive back who's in the Hall of Fame, Eight minutes on the Pats and, and the Super Bowl. Two minutes on why you should get screened for, for testicular cancer. I mean, it, some of that stuff is not overly interesting. We've been able to cut out most of that. Now, Ross Tucker's got a sponsored thing. He's the only one all week that I'm, that I'm bringing on, I think, that has a sponsored thing. He's the only one. Just because I like Ross and because he used to play for the Patriots. So, I hope you're excited about it. I'm excited about it. It takes a lot of work from our staff to coordinate uh, this, you know, again, former athletes, media people, people with local ties, people with regional ties, we're doing all of it. Ross Tucker will be on in a couple of minutes, 6.30 tonight, former Nets assistant general manager, Bobby Marks. More texts on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Rex in Enosburg. Brady, thank you for doing this. I've always enjoyed your Super Bowl week coverage. Looking forward to seeing who comes on this week. Well, thank you very much, Rex. Lou over, over in Burlington, he wants me to name drop more. Who are some of the other best people you've spoken to? Well, I mean, Curtis Martin, like I just said, Miss America, Joe Buck, Tutal Jones, John Hanna, Mike Greenberg, Mike Golick, Michelle Tafoya, Matthew Slater, 
uh, Rex Burkhead. Uh, Frank Caliendo was really cool. Fr Frank Caliendo was awesome. That was one of the more memorable ones. Uh, so there's a lot of people that I've talked to at Radio Row. But again, not all of those people are, one, available this year. And two, they're not all appealing to our listeners. I remember I had a tight end on for the Browns one year. And I'm thinking to myself, it's cool for me to say that, uh, you know, say that it's like it's cool for me to meet this guy and ask questions. But I don't think our, I was like, I don't think our listeners really care. And I just, I don't think we need to be doing this. And I had a backup offensive lineman for the Vikings. And I'm like, I don't think we need to be doing this. So this, the last, since I got here, we've paired it back and said, we don't need to go. We're just going to put our energy into emptying the contact list. And the people that, that the people that we can get here, that people will be interested in. Look, I don't ever like to commit to a guest because I know things can happen and I know someone's schedule can can get funky. But I, Ryan Rosillo is planning on coming on this week. I don't know what day yet. I don't know what time yet. But Rosillo is planning on coming on. Right? He went to UVM, national media personality. He's awesome. We love Rosillo. Chance to bring him on. Dan Duquette is coming on, former general manager of the Red Sox. Spring training's coming up. Heim Bloom's in the crosshairs. Let's talk to a guy who's done it before, a guy who's been there. Dan Duquette's planning on coming on, I think, tomorrow. That's the plan. Again, Super Bowl week is hectic. Things get crazy. I never like to promise a guest until I know that they're in. But Rosillo told me he's in. Dan Duquette told me he's in. They're coming on later this week. You know, I wanted less of the backup tackles and less of the tight ends on, you know, the Seahawks or whatever, and more of the people that you might be able, you know, might care about. Uh, Max in Richmond. Oh, another text says, that's great how you related to Vermonters. Well, thank you. We, we try our best. Again, it's not easy to do this, but we've pulled it off successfully the last two years, so why not do it again? Max in Richmond says, aside from the interviews, what is Super Bowl week actually like when you go? It is insane. Super Bowl week is insane when you actually go to it. And look, I said, I loved it. I did it four times, and I felt like I had made it. I don't think I need to do it now. It is, it is an absolute whirlwind. You fly across the country somewhere on, on Sunday. You... Instantly kind of check into the media center, get your spot on Radio Row, start scheduling the interviews. Monday night is Super Bowl opening night. That's tonight. It used to be called Super Bowl media day. It's, you know, where Marshawn Lynch would say, I'm just here so I don't get fined, that kind of thing. So all the players are there to be interviewed. It's a huge fan event, too. So that's tonight. Tuesday night is the media soiree. That's the that's the fun night. You get one fun night as far as I'm concerned, it's Tuesday night media bash. You meet up with other media people around the country, free drinks and food, and uh, they usually take you to some cool local landmark. I went to it in San Francisco. It was at an aquarium. I went to it in Houston. It was at a planetarium. In Minneapolis, it was at an amusement park inside the Mall of America. And I remember drinking and riding a roller coaster. In the Mall of America. And then Atlanta, I don't remember where it was. But I remember we had fun. 
It was like a it was like more of a convention center type thing, but it was a blast too. But you work 15 hours a day. You're on your feet every day. You're chasing around people. You do the shows. I'm exhausted. Like I love doing it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as like I wasn't finding myself at the Maxim party. I didn't go to Gronk's party or Lee Steinberg's party. Other people I know did that kind of stuff. I did not. The best story that I have out of Radio Row in the four years that I've been was the Friday night Minneapolis. I was leaving Saturday morning. I left at like 6 a.m. Saturday morning. Friday night in Minneapolis when we were getting ready to leave the hotel, having drinks with Bruce Gradkowski, the old Bucks and Raiders quarterback, and having him drunkenly recite John Gruden play calls. That, that was the thing I remember most. I'm with a couple of different people. We're at the bar. Bruce Gradkowski's there. And all of a sudden, you're a couple gin and tonics in, and Bruce Gradkowski's out there going, red, right, red, seven, red, seven, like some play calls like 20 seconds long. I'm like, how do NFL teams get plays off in time when they're this long? That's the best Radio Row story that I have. That was fun. And sitting next to, uh, sitting next to Emmett Smith and stealing, uh, John Clayton's little mini helmet. I did that too. Uh, does your fiance know about your behavior at Radio Row? I have no behavior to hide from her. So drinking with Bruce Gradkowski is nothing to hide. Um, uh, Nate and Starksboro love the Radio Row at home ID. I didn't even know about Radio Row in the first place, so it's cool to hear about it. Also, give me a good reason to care about the Red Sox this year. We'll, we'll get to that, right? There's a lot of things to be interested in in the Red Sox. Yeah, Radio Row is fun. You know, you go down there. At its heyday, it's still very big, trust me. At its heyday, it was, you know, 300 stations there. And then everybody descends on it and all the superstars come in. Monday and Tuesday are kind of lighter days. Wednesday, everybody comes in for the game. And Wednesday through Friday is nuts. Like, I remember... Um, the first year I went, one, I was standing. Next to me was Terrell Owens. Across from me was Jim Harbaugh. Then was Gronk, and then was Richard Sherman behind me. Like, I was in the middle of those four people. T.O., Jim Harbaugh, Richard Sherman, and Gronk. I mean, that was pretty cool. It's a cool concept. Now, I never talked to all of those people. I talked to a lot of good people. But, again... Do you need to hear me talk to some no-name comedian who's just walking around? Do you need to hear me talk to uh, the backup tight end of the Browns? Probably not. John in Moncton says, uh, interesting guest list. I appreciate who you are able to get on the air. I enjoy the questions you ask and the responses from guests. Well, thank you very much, John. Again, fun week ahead. You know, some things are still being finalized. We'll have all our usual people either on the show or on the podcast channel is too. Coach Brennan, Freddie Coleman, Tom Karen, Buster Olney, they're all they're not getting bumped for this week also. They're they're all awesome. We love talking to them. So Radio Row is fun. Radio Row at home is also fun. And uh we might as well kick it off right now with a little bit of fun. How about our guy Ross Tucker? He's calling in now. Ross Tucker is a former NFL offensive lineman. He played with the Patriots. He was teammates for a bit with Tom Brady. He out beer chugged Tom Brady at one point. No, he didn't. Brady out beer chugged him as I remember the uh, story correctly now. He's big in the media now, the Ross Tucker football podcast, and he's also hosted the Dan Patrick show. So Ross Tucker is with us now. Ross, thank you for being with us. Kicking off Radio Row at home. How are you? 
Of course, Brady. Doing great, man. Always good to talk with you. Good to be with you here. You know, closing in on another Super Bowl. I will get to Eagles Chiefs momentarily, but I do want to start with some Patriot stuff since you played here and you spent some time with Tom Brady. He recently announced his retirement again. Are you buying this one as being for good? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, I don't know that it's 100%, but I would say 99.9 maybe. You know, I don't know what happened last year. It kind of felt like it never felt right. It, it hmm. always kind of felt like it was it was rushed or unorthodox. It was just a unique situation a year ago. Because he retired last year and then came back, I just can't imagine he would have done that, Brady, on February 1st if he thought there was a chance he'd play this year. You know, I just don't think he wants to be that guy. I don't think he wants to be that guy that that comes back twice because then you're the you're the butt of all the jokes and it just seems kind of unprofessional at that point so I think he made this decision with peace of knowing that you know he doesn't really need or want to play football anymore I agree with you I don't think he need I don't think he needs to play football anymore I also don't think that Tom Brady was terrible there are some people who look at it like Brady was awful in 2022 I certainly didn't see it that way as someone who studies the whole league what is your sense of of what Brady had left well I thought it was the worst I've ever seen him play so let's say that yeah um he was still a top 20 quarterback in the NFL it's hard to separate how bad their O-line was, how bad their scheme was. You know, he was not really put in a position to succeed. And so I kind of wondered if he realized that and thought maybe if he goes to the Raiders with Devontae Adams and Renfro and Waller and Josh Jacobs and he knows McDaniels, if maybe he wanted to give it one more shot somewhere else. But ultimately he decided – I think he just wants to be with his family, man. Like, yeah. I, I think there's part of him that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he played next year and he was a top 10 quarterback again. That wouldn't shock me at all, knowing him. But I, I just don't think he felt like he needed to prove anything. But but I don't know, man. He hasn't had to prove anything for a long time, <laughs> and he still was doing it. From the old Patriots quarterback to the new Patriots quarterback in Mac Jones, Obviously, Mac was not in a great position to succeed this year either, but what is uh, your overall assessment of where he is at coming out of year two right now? Well, it's funny. There's a lot of similarities between those two in terms of this past season because it's hard to separate Mac Jones from having Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator and the impact that had on him. I feel like we will learn a lot more about Mac Jones this year, right? With Bill O'Brien, yeah. who's kind of a proven commodity. We're going to learn a lot more about just how good Mac Jones really is. And it's perfect timing for the Patriots because at the end of this year, they'll have to decide whether to pick up his fifth year option or whatever. Um, it could go really one of three ways. He could improve and they could feel great about him, pick up the fifth-year option. He could say the same 
which would put them in a weird spot. I kind of feel like if he stays the same, or if he's worse, obviously, I don't think they will pick up the fifth-year option, and I think they'll start to explore other options at the quarterback position, which is kind of surprising given how good Mac was as a rookie. There's kind of two levels of NFL contention. There's playoff contention and there's Super Bowl contention. How far do you think the Patriots are from each of those levels? They're not far from playoff contention. And and they will be a playoff contender next year. They'll be right there in the mix. Although their division is tough. Yeah. You know, I think the Jets are going to get a good veteran quarterback. And with that, I think the Patriots are probably the worst team in the division. Hmm. Isn't that amazing, Brady? After all those years, Super Bowl contention, they're far away. Yeah. They are far away. I mean, you think about Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Doesn't really feel like the Patriots are even close to being at that level. So I, I would say pretty far away from Super Bowl contention. Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, also the host of the Ross Tucker uh, football podcast, and I've seen him hosting the Dan Patrick Show before. He's everywhere and awesome at it. So uh, let's turn a little bit to the Super Bowl with kind of an eye back on the Patriots. One of the stories of this Super Bowl is going to be the mobility of the quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts certainly is mobile. Patrick Mahomes is a mobile quarterback usually, although we're not quite sure what his ankle is going to be at this weekend. Mac Jones is fairly immobile. He can move around the pocket. He's shifty, but he's not really mobile. Do you think the Patriots are at a disservice or at a disadvantage by not having a more agile quarterback? Um, yes, but I think Mac Jones is more agile than he gets credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think he needs to win sort of like how Joe Burrow is winning. I think he's as athletic or as agile as Joe Burrow. Hmm. Um, You know, he needs to win like Brady won or Peyton Manning. The thing is, is like Brady's such an anomaly, but Manning had really good receivers like Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark. And Joe Burrow has, you know, Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Mac Jones does not have those guys. So I think in today's day and age, Brady, it's pretty tough to have a quarterback that's not mobile combined with a pedestrian receiving core. Boy, you're asking a lot mm. of that quarterback and the O-line then. We are still a few days away from the Super Bowl here, so there's uh, time for more things to pop up in our next few days of coverage. But, Ross, as we sit here a few days out, uh, what are you thinking is going to be the um, biggest key to the game? Well, I think probably the health of the Chiefs. Yeah. You know, like, how healthy are those receivers? How healthy is Patrick Mahomes? You know, the Eagles come into this game really healthy. I mean, they have all 22 starters from the start of the year. I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah. And by the way, 18 of the 22 are Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl alternate players. <laughs> it's just, I mean, so Brady, I grew up outside of Philly, and they never wanted me, right? I never, I never played for them. But I grew up a fan. 
And I have never, ever seen a team like this. It's hmm. by far the best. This is definitely a better team than the one that beat the Patriots five years ago. Definitely. They have easily the best offensive line in the league. They probably have the best D-line in the league. I mean, they're third NFL history in sacks this year. They have the best wide receivers in franchise history. Probably the best corners in franchise history. The quarterback's MVP candidate. I mean, they are loaded, loaded, and healthy. So I don't really see, you know, barring turnovers, obviously, I don't really see a scenario whereby the Chiefs win unless Mahomes is just unbelievable, right? Like, there's no scenario where the Chiefs win unless mm. Mahomes is magical. Here's the thing. Mahomes is magical a lot. You yeah. know I mean? I can't believe he was able to get that done against the Bengals, you know, in the AFC Championship game, but he did. So um, that's the other thing too, right? Like, if you expect it to be a close game, and I kind of think it will be, how do you pick against Mahomes, who we've all seen make the critical play late in big games at least a dozen times. Hertz hasn't done that. Hertz hasn't been asked to do that. It's not really his fault. He might be able to do it. We don't really know. We know Mahomes can do it. Ross, you come to us at a great time here in the calendar, not just Super Bowl week, but Valentine's Day is coming up. And for all the dudes out there, and you know you're out there listening that screwed up the dinner reservation and missed it and are trying to scramble for something to do, you're here to save the day. Well, I'm just telling you, I've said this for the last couple of years to you, Brady. Myfrontpagestory.com, my buddy started the company, by far the best Valentine's Day gift ever. You literally talk to one of their writers for five minutes while you're driving to Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, or driving home from work. You tell them how great your significant other is. They write the most unbelievable story about her. Framed pictures of the two of you, maybe the kids. It looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. And just to be able to say to her, honey, I want to do something different for you. I want to do something special. So I had a story written about you. Like, your wife will be like, what? You did what? <laughs> what do you mean you had a story written about me? And then she reads it. Your wife will think, like, you came up with the idea. Like, you didn't just hear some ex-football player talking about <laughs> on the radio. Like, you went out of your way to find some unique Valentine's Day gift for her. And then when she reads the quotes about, you know, I, I don't thank her enough for everything she does, like, she will cry. Like, she, I, I'm almost positive your wife will cry. Myfrontpagestory.com. Trust me, fellas, I would not steer you wrong here. I know Valentine's Day is important for a lot of reasons. MyFrontPageStory.com. $100 dinner lasts you one day. MyFrontPageStory.com lasts a lifetime. Frame it on the wall. Keep it there forever. Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, spent some time with the Patriots. Good perspective here on the Pats and the Super Bowl. Ross, we love talking to you. Enjoy the game in a few days, and uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely, Brady. Thank you so much, as always, for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. And I said, people, that Ross was the only one I was going to let come on and talk about a product. That was it. He was the only one because I think myfrontpagestory.com is actually a really unique idea. 
right? I didn't want to hear about, hey, here's this athlete for Doritos. Hey, you can get this athlete on, and you can talk to him for five minutes. We'll make sure the last two minutes are about hybrid cars. I had no interest in any of that stuff this year. But Ross was the only one that I said he can come on and talk about his sponsorship for a minute because that's actually an interesting idea. So there you go. Myfrontpagestory.com is Valentine's Day is eight days away. But Ross is the man. There's a reason why I love having him on. Okay? Good perspective on Tom Brady. Good perspective on the Patriots. We're going to kind of get through this week, and then we're going to take all the audio that we've gotten, cut it all up, and kind of get back to a bunch of the individual points here as kind of sports hits a dead zone after the Super Bowl, right? Like, once the Super Bowl ends, we're at NHL and NBA, more college hoops, so we'll have things to talk about. But that's when I kind of really want to get back to some of the stuff that these guests have said. But I just – I love – what he had to say about Mac, mobile quarterback. I mean, right? Like Mac Jones is playing for his fifth-year option, similar to what Daniel Jones was playing for, and the Giants ended up declining it going into this year. So Mac Jones is absolutely this is a huge year for him, and uh, you know the Ross's perspective on that was great. Tex says. Uh, Brady knew it was over. Tom Brady knew it was over. Well, he said that it was the right time to retire. He said that today on Fox Sports Radio. So, And I believe it's for real as well. Now, Brady also said he's not going to start broadcasting until 2024 with Fox. So I guess there's another year in there potentially, uh, you know, for him to come back without it impacting his future career. But I still think it's for real. Good stuff from Ross Tucker. Love having him on when we come back so cbs news update i'll talk to you about uvm's win over you albany but i got a thing with my barber this weekend i need your all help i'll tell you about it next monica ricks cbs by government. make your opinion heard by texting onto the brady farkas show at 802-585-3026 now it's back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, for stopping by. That interview already is up on our podcast channel at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. We'll also check in with Bobby Marks, the former NBA executive. Talk a little Kyrie Irving, but mainly focus on the Celtics tonight. They're taking on the Pistons, by the way, and they still have the best record in the NBA. So Bobby Marks will be with us at uh, 630. I want to get to UVM hoops here in a couple of minutes, but I got to tell you about the odd position I ended up in with regards to my barber on Saturday. So I went and got my haircut on Saturday afternoon, right? It's a freezing cold day. You all know this. I was out there. So my barber was like an artist on Saturday. Really, really dedicated to his craft. Took a while to do everything with my hair and beard, etc. He was like an artist. The minute I got home, I undid basically all of his work. Let me tell you about how we got there. I felt like I feel bad about this situation, frankly. And I want to know if anybody else ever finds themselves in a similar one. So I go to this great barber shop. And I love this barbershop. I love the people who work there. I love the vibe of where it is. They're great professionals. Do awesome work. But again, I ended up in this weird position the other day. So let me tell you this up front because it will help shape the story. 
I have a pretty hard and fast rule. If I have short hair, I will not have a full beard. Like, I hate the idea of having short hair on the sides and the top, and then all of a sudden there's a bushy beard there that connects to that. I, that I have no desire for. So if I, have, if I am getting my hair cut, I will always shave. Always. I might leave a little bit of stubble or something, but if I have short hair, I'm having short facial hair. If I have long hair, I'm going to have a beard. That's just the way it is. That is a pretty hard and fast rule for me. So, you know, I grow them out at the same time. I get them short at the same time. So I go into the barber shop and I sit down and I'm thinking that, you know, like usual, the barber is going to ask you like, hey, what are you looking for? And I told him I wanted a two on the sides and back with the clippers and scissors on the top, right? I like to leave the, leave the, leave the top a little bit longer. So two on the sides and back, scissors on the top. All right, great. So we're going through, hair's getting cut, feels good. My neck's getting trimmed. Everything's feeling good. He gets to the area of my sideburns and where the beard is. And I'm thinking now he's going to ask me, hey, what do you want to do here? Right? Like I'm waiting for him to ask me, what do you want to do here? Never asks me. He pulls out the straight razor. He's got the warm shaving cream. He's got the, the, the nice edges. And all of a sudden, I realize, okay, he's never going to ask me what we're doing here. So he's, he's again, he's got the tiny short razor, like straight out of like the 1950s barber shops. And I'm like, this guy's an artist. He's edging me up. He's going down the hairline, edging me up perfectly. I can feel the razor on my face. And... He's edging that up. So now he's like, this takes like 15 minutes, right? Like my haircuts usually take like 20 minutes tops. The beard edge up took 15. He's going on the neck now. He's getting that edged up. He's on the cheek. He's getting that edged up. By the time we're done, he's done with both sides of the face. He does the mustache. He cleans that up a bit. So he doesn't shave off my beard, which is what I would have wanted. He edges it up perfectly. I, I look in the mirror, finally we're done. And he kind of looks at me like, hey, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't have the heart to tell him. Like, this is not what I wanted. Like, I want this beard gone. I want these sideburns gone. But he's just gone to 15 minutes of trouble. He's used the little tiny utensils, the little tiny instruments. He's perfected his craft on this. I feel guilty. I'm like, if you would just asked me 15 minutes ago what I wanted, I would have saved you all this work. You could have just lopped these bad boys right off. I want the sideburns trimmed. I want the beard gone. The only thing I want to leave, I want the mustache gone. The only thing I want to keep it all is a little stubble on the chin. That's it. He is. He has kept the exact same beard that I had before, but it just looks way better. Like, it looks way better. It's not scraggly. It's still long, but it's not scraggly. I feel guilty. He's like, how do you like it? I'm like, well, looks great. And it does look great, but it's not what I wanted. So the minute I get home, I shave off the beard. And I trim the sideburns then myself because I got to bring them up now at this point. Right? He's left the sideburns long, so basically the hair on the side can connect to the beard. I, I, the minute I got home, shaved the beard, shaved the mustache, got rid of the sideburns. 
I didn't have the heart to tell him. Now, this could have been avoided, right? At the very beginning, I could have laid out, hey, two on the sides and back, scissors on top, sideburns ditched. I, I could have easily told him that, so that's on me. He also could have easily told me when he got to the sideburns, like, hey, what are you looking to do here? Miscommunication between me and the barber. I felt real guilty about this because this was not like your generic corporate barber shop where they just churn you in and out. This wasn't that, you know, like you're in and out in 10 minutes or less. This was like precision haircutting. This was, I was on, I was on that chair for 35 minutes. It doesn't take that much work for me to get a two on the sides and back. The majority of the time I'm on the chair was him with the beard and the short razor and the good shaving cream. I felt horrible. He's like, you know, he's he's an artist, and I'm like, I'm gonna get rid of this the minute I get home, and that's exactly what I did. I felt I tipped him well because I felt so bad. On one hand, I tipped him because I felt bad. On the other hand, I shouldn't have tipped him because he never asked me what I wanted to do and gave me something that I didn't want. But does this ever happen to anybody else? Miscommunication with the barber? Because that's where I was at. I'm like I. I don't know how we got here, but we're here. And now I got to I got to change it all up. So, it, I felt like I was living in a Seinfeld episode. Right? Where like you're getting a great haircut, but it's not what you want and you're afraid to speak up about it. I feel like I'm living in a Seinfeld episode. You remember this episode? They had one like it. Where Jerry's getting the uh, haircut from Uncle Enzo and he doesn't like it and he wants to switch over to Gino the barber and he can't figure out a way to do it. And they watch Edward Scissorhands. Uncle Enzo. Now, this guy is much better than Uncle Enzo. He just didn't talk to me about what I wanted. So we ended up in a weird spot. All right. I, it is the Brady Farkas Show. You can get in on barbershops etiquette here momentarily, but I do want to get to UVM. I love, I love when teams in sports do exactly what they're supposed to do. There is almost nothing more satisfying and nothing more exciting than when a team does exactly what it's supposed to do. That was UVM men's basketball on Saturday afternoon against UAlbany. Catamounts won that game by 19 points. Final score was 87-68. They were up by as many as 34, I believe. I love when teams do what they're supposed to do, and that's the sign of a good team. Good teams do what they're supposed to do. I told you on Friday, UVM should beat you Albany by no less than 15 points. I said if they beat them by less than 15 points, I'm going to be disappointed. You're up by 30-plus. You win by 19. You did what you're supposed to do. I come in today thrilled. Right? Bad teams, bad teams get beat. Mediocre teams win occasionally, you know, like, they lose one they're supposed to. They drop a bad one. Good teams do what they're supposed to do. I just don't I, – I don't like when teams can't hit the mark. UVM's hitting the mark. They dominated that game in every single way, start to finish. They put up nearly 90 points. They could have put up 95 if they had really kept on it here. They pulled off the gas. They started out the game up 7 nothing. Five players in double figures. They hit 13 threes. They shot nearly 50% from three. They out-rebounded Albany. They were 2-1 to one in the assist-to-turnover ratio. They did just about everything well. That right there 
That's a performance you can hang your hat on. And if you are a UVM fan and you see now that this team is 7-2 and two in conference play and you want to get on board again, that's the kind of performance that gets you on board. You come out, you do exactly what you're supposed to do. Again, good teams do what they're supposed to do. Bad teams lose. Mediocre teams let teams hang around and then drop a couple they're not supposed to. Good teams get out early and they bury you. And that's what Vermont did. And that's where they're starting to trend to. Now, it wasn't always easy against UMBC the game before, so I get it. They have had some moments too. But when they are fully healthy and have everybody at their disposal, they are unbeaten in this conference. They lose to New Hampshire without Hurley. They lose to UMass Lowell without Finn Sullivan. But when they have been fully healthy, they are unbeaten in this league. They'd be 7-0 at full strength. Vermont is the best team in this league. They're still they're not a threat to win in the NCAA tournament. But they are absolutely a threat to win this league in the regular season. And they're absolutely a threat to win this league again at the conference tournament level. And they're starting to play really well. Right? Three of their last four games, they've hit at least 11 threes. And in addition to just doing what you're supposed to do on a team level, they're doing what we've asked them to do on an individual level. What did we say for weeks? Finn Sullivan and Dylan Penn need to step up offensively. They need to carry the load, and that's exactly what they're doing now. Finn Sullivan gets 19 points to lead the way on Saturday. Dylan Penn gets 17. He had 15 in the first half. He barely needed to even play in the second half. Otherwise, he would have had 20 for sure. Like, that's what you want. That's what you want. You're a veteran-laden team, and your veterans are stepping up. You had five players in double figures. Every one of them is a senior or older. Deloney gets double figures. Cam Gibson gets double figures. Barreto gets double figures. Sullivan and Penn all get double figures. Ding, ding, ding. That's what you want. Your veteran players making plays. Your two best offensive players carrying the load. You get out to a 7-0 lead, and you never look back. I mean, Vermont, I know Albany's bad. And some of you want to discount the win. Ah, it's just Albany. Yeah, you know what? You beat them by 20. You beat them on the road in an unfamiliar surrounding, in a junior college gym. Anytime, anywhere, you went on the road and you won that game and you won it handily. I give you credit for that. I absolutely give you credit for that. They played well. Really, really well. And they're going to take on Maine on Wednesday, it's a main team that has a bad record, but it's a main team that's beaten, I want to say has beaten Binghamton and has beaten UMass Lowell. So it's no gimme. It's a long trip up to Orno. It's no gimme, but they they got a chance to go to 8-2 and two in the conference coming up on Wednesday night. Um, by the way, huge win for the UVM women also. I want to shout them out. Albany has run that conference for a long time. Albany and Maine has have run the America East Conference on the women's side. UVM women win that game by four. They win it at home. They beat Albany. They get three players in double figures. Elisa Kresge's got that program cooking right now. And I think there are some people who have said, hey, look, they've got a good record, but you know, they haven't beaten Albany yet. Well, guess what? They've beaten Albany and Maine now. So they are absolutely a threat to win the conference tournament as well. Elisa Kresge's got her team rolling. And we have never had this situation in the time that I've been here 
but it is a very realistic possibility now that both the UVM men and the UVM women go to the tournament in the same year. We are, that is absolutely a possibility. We have not seen it in the now seven seasons that I have been in Vermont, but it's absolutely a possibility. And I've seen it before. When I lived and worked in Albany, I was a part of multiple years where the men and women went to the tournament at the same time. That is a really cool vibe. And that is a really healthy athletic department. When you can get both your men and women's teams to the NCAA tournament, that should be the goal now. Now, it's going to be hard for both of them to do it. Maine and Albany are very good. UVM might not get the home game or might not get the conference tournament title game at home, but they absolutely can win it. They've won at Maine. They've beaten Albany at home. This is a cool time right now. Cool time right now. UVM men, I, I told you last week I was getting that feeling, and it's growing. That feeling is growing, and the UVM women are inspiring some confidence as well uh one more thing on the men by the way we had talked you know a good amount last week about kind of the philosophical change that that the catamounts have done offensively right dylan penn playing more point guard finn sullivan playing more shooting guard here was penn talking about what that change has done for him um it gives me a chance to push the ball in transition and really like attack downhill i feel like that that's one of the areas where i can really thrive in and I feel like that also makes the defense collapse, and it gives me a chance to get guys like Finn, guys like Cam, guys like AD, guys that can really shoot the ball, stretch the floor. Yeah, it's just it gives me an opportunity to attack downhill early, make the defense play me, and then I can kick it out and get, get the ball to other guys that can score. Yeah, I, I think this has been a huge adjustment for this team. This has been a huge adjustment for this team. Um, we called for it earlier in the season. It's what, it's what I thought it was going to look like. Credit to UVM for recognizing that it's what works. Dylan Penn talks about when I have the ball in my hands early in the shot clock, when I have the ball early, I get a chance to get momentum, get downhill, and get to the bucket. He does that great. And then if they're going to help, then I can kick out to other guys who shoot the ball well. Hurley, Gibson, Deloney, Sullivan, and now those guys are shooting well. That is a big deal. That's a big-time offensive change. So I think that's huge. I think it's absolutely huge, and uh, it's been one of the differences for this team. You know, UVM is shooting well, right? Everything is interrelated. Everything is interrelated. Okay? Listen, l- follow the chain of events here. Dylan Penn plays point guard. He, therefore, scores easier, right? He's got the ball in his hands, top of the key, can go either side, can feel it out, has the momentum. He scores easier. That's great. Guys, help. They, he kicks out to shooters. Well, now, because people are, are are collapsing on Dylan Penn, those jump shots get much easier. Finn Sullivan's got a better look. TJ Hurley has a better look. Cam Gibson has a better look. So now you're creating better shot opportunities, more makes. Boom. That's great. Now you're able to saunter back on defense and force the other team to play offense in the half court. Everything's related. Dylan Penn creates better offense. You're now hitting more jumpers. That helps your defense. You want to know why this team is now 7-2 and two in league play and why the last four games they've been rolling? Well, that's a huge reason why. Everything leads to – everything helps one another. But I really do think that Dylan Penn playing point guard more has given them just better offensive freedom and given them better offensive uh, ability. Gary says, good points on the barber, Brady. 
Your no spring chicken things are probably starting to thin up there. What does that have to do with my beard? Is it just is it just any chance to take a shot at me? Is that what we're at here? I got I got a little bit of thinning up there. I'm not afraid to admit it. Well, I'm afraid to admit it, but I'm not afraid to tell you about it. So I get the scissors on the top. I leave the scissors long I get I leave it longer on the top to hide some of that thinning. Get the scissors on the top, the sides and the back go shorter, and then when I have shorter sides and back, I don't want a long beard. Again, long hair, full beard. Short hair, no beard. That's what I wanted. The barber did a great job at, at, at trimming up the beard, but it's not what I wanted. I just felt guilty afterwards. I couldn't tell him that. I couldn't bring myself to tell him that. He had worked so hard at it. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Dot com. All right, let's get to a quick who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Well, they have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Who's Saying What as we are on our first day of Super Bowl week coverage here. The Chiefs and the Eagles obviously playing each other on Super Bowl Sunday. Which team has more pressure on them this weekend? Well, former Patriot Rob Ninkovich has an opinion. I think it's Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Like When you have that expectation to being the next team dynasty that gets there every single year, like you just can't get there and lose these mat- these games. Like These are the ones that you have to go and win them. So you look at Patrick Mahomes and what they did in the previous Super Bowl when they were beat and they didn't have an offensive line, well, what did they do? They went out and made sure that they rebuilt that offensive line. They gave him more protection. They helped him in certain areas to help to help him be protected and now they're back in it so you know Jalen Hurts he's young he's gone farther than anyone expected this season I mean if you look back this year to last year to this year I mean he's grown leaps ahead and of bounds. schedule way ahead, ahead of schedule, schedule. Yeah. way ahead of schedule so if you're the Eagles you're like man we're in bonus time see I disagree I think the Eagles are under more pressure and the reason is is because the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes now Ninko says the Chiefs have more pressure because they have Mahomes and they had the weight of expectation on them. I look at it the other way. Hey, the Eagles, we don't know if they're going to get back. Right? We don't know if they're going to get back. Like, this is the chance that's in front of them. This is the chance that they have to take. If I'm the Chiefs, I got to be thinking. Or if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm thinking, hey, Mahomes has already won one. So he's got that pressure off his back. And now I'm thinking to myself... I got to think I can get back again with Mahomes, right? Like, I think it's more of a foregone conclusion that Mahomes gets back than Hurts. Now, the NFC is not as good, and the NFC doesn't have as many good quarterbacks, so there's certainly a chance next year for the Eagles to be back here. That absolutely is realistic given the state of the NFC. But I just feel better about Mahomes' chances of – if you said to me, which quarterback has a better chance of getting back to the Super Bowl again in their career? Wouldn't we all say Mahomes? So if Mahomes has a better chance of getting back, I feel less inclined to say that there's a, you know, that the urgency is greater for the Chiefs. I think the urgency is greater for the Eagles. We we do not know what their future looks like. 
right? They made a lot of moves. They made some trades at the deadline, guys that are on expiring contracts. They traded some. They, they traded picks to go get A.J. Brown. A little harder to replenish in the draft. I, I think the Chiefs have a better chance of getting back here just by virtue of having Mahomes. So if you are more of a lock to be back in the future, then I don't think that there's a huge amount of pressure on you. Again, they've already won one. This core of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey has already won a title. So there's not that pressure on them. The Eagles are the ones who got to look at it and say, man, we got to take it now because I don't know if we'll be back. I don't know if we'll be back. Again, Super Bowl Sunday, though, is on Sunday. We continue on our Radio Row at Home coverage. Our Radio Row at Home coverage. Biggest guests in sports entertainment. Does not have to just be football. And we'll pivot next to the NBA. The Celtics are in first place in the Eastern Conference. They have the best record in the NBA, but they haven't been perfect lately. What do they need as the trade deadline approaches? And what do we make of the Kyrie Irving situation? Former NBA executive Bobby Marks. He's with us next here in the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Steve in Faston says that my story about the hair in the barber shop is killing him. So, uh, well, the next time I see Steve in person, we'll have a good laugh about it. I see Steve uh, frequently out and about, so we'll have a good laugh about it. Gary says, Brady, I think you're right. The uh, Eagles have more pressure on them. As Ross Tucker said, they're 100% healthy. How does that happen? That's a great point also. Like, the Eagles have all 22 starters from opening day available for the Super Bowl. That never happens. Like, that never, ever happens. So if you have a season where you have had basically the best injury luck you can have, you have to capitalize on it, right? Because you never know what's going to happen next year. You could look at it next year, and the Eagles could end up just like the 49ers, and their season could be over, right? You lose your starting quarterback, and your season could be done. You look at it like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other teams that lost their quarterbacks for long periods of time, and they were just derailed, right? Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago when he was hurt for the for the Packers, and, you know, they went four games or whatever. The Seahawks, Russell Wilson misses three games last year. They go one and two, I think, or they go one and three in four games, and their season shot. Like, you never know. Then if you mention, look, look at the Patriots, right? For as bad as they were, Look, they were so injured on the offensive line that you couldn't overcome that. That could be the Eagles next year. You have no idea. If you have this kind of health and you're fortunate enough to have this kind of health, you've got to capitalize on it. All right, the Boston Celtics are taking on the Pistons tonight. They'll do so a half game ahead of Denver uh, right now for the best record in the NBA. That game's about 25 minutes from now for the Celtics taking on Detroit. Detroit's one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, Also, the Kyrie Irving trade from the Nets is officially official now, sent to Dallas for a couple of players, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a couple of draft picks also. Breaking down everything now with us on the Brady Farkas Show is Bobby Marks. He's the front office insider for the NBA on ESPN. 
He's also the former assistant manager, or former assistant general manager, excuse me, of those said Brooklyn Nets. He's with us now. Bobby, thank you for being with us. Thanks for taking some time with us here on this Super Bowl week. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good. I appreciate you being with us. I want to talk about the Celtics, but let's start with the obvious, and let's start with Kyrie Irving. What do you make of the deal that Brooklyn ultimately got, and what do you make of the situation in general with Kyrie right now? Yeah, I mean, I think considering the circumstances of a player asking to be traded less than a week from the deadline and his prior track record, whether it be in Cleveland, Boston, and Brooklyn in the last four years, they, they probably maximized as much as they could as far as draft picks and Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith here. And it still keeps this roster competitive. It's not, you know, you're not, it's not in a teardown mode. And I just think it's going to be interesting as far as Kyrie and Dallas, um, what the next contract's going to be to look like, the pairing with Luka. Um, but I understand it from certainly from, from, from the Nets' perspective. From Dallas's perspective, I mean, they're obviously taking a risk. Any team who acquired Kyrie was taking a risk. But do you worry about Kyrie having a negative impact on Luka if you're, if you're the Mavs? Well, it depends on how long term how long term that risk is going to be. Is it for the next four months or is it for the next three years? Hmm. I think that's the big thing. I, I think the Dallas will have you know they're not obligated to sign him. I know they what they traded. They're not obligated to sign him to a new contract in the offseason. They can basically kind of wash their hands clean and, and kind of go in a different direction here. So just because you gave up the first and the two players here doesn't mean that all of a sudden Kyrie Irving is going to get a, a four year two hundred million dollar contract. So. I think it's an audition. It's an audition for the next, you know, the next, you know, three or four months is an audition for what the next contract is going to be. You know, it's interesting too because Kyrie reportedly wanted, you know, a four-year deal with the Nets. That surprised me because when he was with the Celtics, he was talking about retiring early and he didn't want to play into his mid to late thirties and his body was beat up. I thought Kyrie was going to be out of the league at thirty-two. He's already thirty. It kind of surprised me that he wanted such a long-term deal. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you can you can make two hundred million dollars over four years and have financial security, I think that's always always the goal. I just have a hard time seeing where he would get that this off season. Uh, he wasn't going to likely get it from Brooklyn. I don't see a team like the Lakers. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in Dallas. I would say unlikely because giving him a four year deal would basically have him on the roster when Luka could become a free agent. And I don't think I don't think the Mavericks want to be put themselves in a position. Your colleague at ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, said this morning that maybe Kevin Durant could be on the move and thinks that the Celtics could be in play for him, I presume, around a package centered around Jalen Brown. Are you buying that as realistic? Would you even do that if you were the Celtics? Well, I would be surprised that in the next three days Kevin Durant has to be traded. I, I think this is probably more of a discussion in, in June and July, as far as what happens with him, what happens this season, what happens, what does Brooklyn do in the next three days? If there's another deal to be made here, um, yeah, I would be. I, I mean, I, I understand the speculation now because Irving is traded here, but I would, I would be surprised that um, all of a sudden, even if he did become a vet, you know, asked to be traded, that all of a sudden the Nets are picking up the phone, calling teams, looking for the best trade package here. I think that's, as I said, it's a conversation to have in the. Uh, in the offseason here, but let's face it. I mean, Kevin Durant's an all-NBA player. He's a top three player in the NBA. He's a better player than Jalen Brown, and you have him for three years. Right? Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown's going to be a free agent in 2024. 
that's that's you know that's the reality of the situation here. That you what we've seen of Kevin Durant this year warrants you know, a lot in return going back to Brooklyn here. But as I said, that's probably a conversation that we're we're having in in June. Bobby Marks, front office insider for the NBA for ESPN, former assistant general manager of those Nets. And now let's turn entirely to the Celtics. They do have the best record in the NBA. They're a half game ahead of Denver for that title right now. But they've kind of stubbed their toes a bit lately. Kind of an odd loss to Phoenix over the weekend. As the trade deadline approaches, you know, non-Kevin Durant, do you think they need something or is this just kind of a normal rough patch? Yeah, I mean, this is an. I mean, it's a long season. Eighty-two games is a long time. I think you don't want to, if you're going to do anything, if you're not going to do anything with your core players here, which is you know your top eight or top nine players. I, I just think it's a. You know, everybody likes the trade deadline, and I think everyone likes putting trades together. But you look at this roster; it's it's a it's a process of elimination. Like, who are you trading? Uh, you know, you're not trading your main guys. I don't, you know, I don't know about Peyton Pritchard or Grant Williams or guys like that. I mean, you've got some trade exceptions that you can go out and and do a deal, maybe boost up your your front court. You know, maybe give yourself a little bit more depth here. Um, you've got some draft picks in the future that you, we saw last year in the Derek White trade that you can you can go out and move a, a deal, but I mean a deal. But this team is a lot different than we were last February. This is not a team that needs to you know have an overall here. So. If you can make a tweak or two and it doesn't cost you anything substantial, I think certainly you're you're looking at that. Anything going to be available? You think on the on the buyout market? You know, it's always we always talk about. It. I remember five years ago clamoring yeah. for the Celtics to go after Andrew Bogut on that thing. Anybody going to be available on the buyout market that could be of use to them, cool. particularly in the front court? Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting just because there's not many sellers right now. So you know, who as far as from a from a buyout perspective, I mean, we'll certainly keep an eye on. What happens in Charlotte as far as um, with um, you know with maybe Mason Plumlee and Kelly Oubre players like that if there's no deal for either one, Houston's another team but there's no players on expiring contracts that's worth considering a buyout market. I think I think the buyout market's fun to talk about because usually it's, it's veterans who are at one time all stars are now out there. But I remember a couple of years ago everybody got wrapped up that Brooklyn went out and got Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Right, yeah. and it resulted in them losing in the second round of the playoffs here. So, I don't think the the buyout market is as lucrative as it as it probably once was. It's such a double edged sword, right? We talk about load management and players missing games, but then you know if they play too much, you know, like Tatum did last year and is exhausted in the playoffs, we're wondering why he didn't sit more earlier in the season. With where Tatum is at now and the minutes that he's playing and the wrist issue that he has. Do you think Tatum should be playing, I'm not saying less games, but less minutes per game here because I feel like he could benefit from some rest? Well, that's that's what we're going to keep an eye on, right? So we've got, whatever, 25 to 30 games left in this season. That's why I said if there's a deal out there, maybe you can get another another wing, which is hard to do, and, and you know, maybe you lessen his minutes and everything. I think it's – yeah, I mean, I think when you get to the playoffs, the goal is to be fresh, right? And I think we've seen certainly – in Toronto in prior years, when you max out minutes during the regular season, it eventually comes it comes back and, and haunts you a little bit here. What do you think of the overall depth of the Eastern Conference? Because for years it was that the West, you know, was so much better and so much deeper than the East. The East certainly seems certainly has gotten a lot better. What do you think overall, you know, uh, of the Eastern Conference here as we trend towards the playoffs? Well, I think there's some separation from where Boston is and everyone else. But I think I mean you look at two, three, four, and five, whether it be Philly, Milwaukee. Um, Brooklyn, Cleveland, I mean, even some of the playing teams, which is Atlanta and maybe, um, 
even even Washington. I think that's that is um, you know that's um, that's deep. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's a little bit different than than the Western Conference, you know, where there's so much you know there is so much parity in there here. But this is probably as deep of um, a, a deep as of conference that we've seen. So many years for you in the NBA before you got to ESPN. What's the go-to story you tell people at cocktail parties? What's the story you end up repeating all the time when people talk to you like I am now? That I went to the Kardashian Humphreys wedding in 2012. <laughs> oh, really? How was that? Were you, was everybody at the Nets invited? Were you special invite only? Where? Tell me about this one. I think my wife got a bigger thrill out of it than I did. She's a big People Magazine fan, so yeah, I think she got a big, big kick out of it. <laughs> oh man, that is a that is a good one. And I remember real quick, you know, we we spoke um, a while back, and you told me about how far the NBA has come in terms of like the daily transaction logs. Oh yeah. Um, I rem- yeah. I can't remember the exact story, but you know, when you were doing it. Yeah, I mean, we had yeah, I mean, when I first started in '95, um, you know, I mean, Twitter didn't exist, and we were basically just getting. Computers go. I mean, like you know, um, you know, laptops and all that stuff. But there was no, you know, Woj bomb. You know, basically, we had a um, there was a computer system in a room called it was called Lotus Note. And basically, every morning and at, at at night, we would check based on if there was transactions during the day. And that's basically how we found if a player was signed or a player was traded through you know through this uh, computer system. <laughs> uh, last question: You do a lot of the you know front office inside and cap you know, understanding the cap and all that. I mean, really, the NBA salary cap feels like it's studying hieroglyphics. Why can't it be easier, yeah. like baseball? Like in baseball, at least I understand, <laughs> hey, okay, $141 million means $141 million. Here we've got bird rights and escalators and trade exception. Yeah. It's too it's too complicated, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, I think if, they're, if, if they, you know, eliminate saying there's no trade rules, then, yeah, then we would see probably more baseball-type trades when you're – trading a player and you you know you're going to pay 30 million dollars in um of his salary in the deal and you don't have to match i mean everything has to match right for the majority as far as from a contract standpoint and you know everything has yes there is a lot of different nuances to it um I, you know i guess i've been doing it a long time so it's a little bit more easy and and that's my goal is to when there's a trade that happens or a transaction to make it a little bit easier for the person out there who's watching or or reading to kind of understand that Bobby Marks, former front office executive with the Nets, attendee of the Chris Humphreys and Kardashian wedding uh, a decade ago, and uh, now you can check him out on ESPN, Front Office Insider. Bobby, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Absolutely. Bobby Marks with us here on uh, our Radio Row at Home special. That was the Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian wedding. Uh, 2011 to 2013, but they only lasted, they were technically married two years, only lasted 72 days of actual marriage. So there you go. There was a fact I didn't know that the team executive got to go to the wedding. So that's good stuff there. But uh, Bobby Marks is awesome, right? And look, I'm not afraid to admit this, right? Like I used to think that as a host, I had to know absolutely everything about every sport. Right, like I was very conscious of of appearing stupid or appearing unqualified to do the job. I'm not. I'm not too proud now to admit I do not understand all the NBA cap stuff. It is just a labyrinth trying to navigate it. The NFL is also complicated. Like it takes me a while to figure out. Okay, cap hit over the cap, percentage over the cap, this, that, the other. The NBA is the worst. Now, the biggest thing you have to know about the NBA is that. When you make trades, the money has to match. 
Like, that's really where you're at. So if you're talking about the Celtics acquiring Kevin Durant, they can't just acquire, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, $40 million contract for a draft pick. Right? In baseball, you trade away whatever you want. In the NBA, you want to acquire a $40 million guy? You got to give up about $40 million going back. So, like, it would take Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart probably just to make the money work on getting Kevin Durant. And I'm not in favor of that. I think this Celtics team is good enough to win the title without Durant. I'd rather have the younger player. I'd rather have the player without the injury concerns. Durant seems to be hurt every year the last couple of years, right? It was the Achilles. It was the knee. It it seems to be a month that he's out every year or more lately. I, I don't want that. The Celtics, to me, are good enough as presently constructed to win the title. And their big issue is not solved by Kevin Durant, right? Their big issue is Robert Williams. Their big issue is front court depth. Their big issue is, you know, what happens if Rob is not 100%. If they're going to make a move, they need help in the front court. They don't just need Durant. Everybody wants Durant. I get it. But I'd rather have Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and figure out the uh, figure out the stuff uh figure out the stuff uh, in the front court. Texter says, Brady, it's JD. Do you think the barber listens to your show? No, I don't. No, I don't. I do not think the barber listens to this show. That's, and I would not have done this segment if I thought the barber did listen to the show. But I don't think he does. Because I know what's on every time I'm in the barber shop, and it's not this. It's not, it's not sports. It's not sports talk. It's not our station. It's not our show. It's always music. I know the stations that are on in that barber shop. I don't think that's it. I also didn't use his name. I, I don't think so. So, no, I think I'm protected. I also didn't say anything bad about him. I said he did great work, and I feel guilty about it. So, I, he did great work. I recommend him to anybody. Just tell him about the, uh, the uh, sideburns. JD comes back and says, I think it's funny whether he listens or not. I was hoping it would be funny, but I still felt guilty about it. So, when we come back, final segment. There's obviously been a lot of talk about fan conduct at Vermont sporting events. An interesting op-ed piece written by Ben Kaufman of the County Courier. We'll react to it next here on the Brady Farkas Show and DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas coming up for two hours tonight. And then at 9 o'clock, it is special programming the State of the Union with uh, President Biden. So no eye on the world with John Batchelor until at least the uh, State of the Union speech is over. Interesting commentary in the County Courier from Ben Kaufman yesterday. I encourage you to read the piece. But basically, it centers around the continued conversation of poor fan conduct at games. Right? We've heard about racially insensitive comments at high school games. We've heard about gender insensitive comments in games we've heard about uh obviously the incident in Alberg last week where there was the death resulting or partially resulting from a fight that broke out at a middle school basketball game so there's been a lot of incidents of poor fan conduct well 
Ben writes that basically, if you are silent at games now, you are complicit. It's no longer good enough for you to sit in silence and say, well, see, I'm not the problem. He says you need to stand up and you need to speak up when you see anything. That is a nice sentiment. But I will say it's harder than it sounds, right? It's harder than it sounds. Ben says it, it sounds logical. If you see or hear something poor, you should say something immediately. Either say something to the person, either say something to an administrator, or just get up and go. That, that all sounds nice, but it's not that simplistic. There's all kinds of reasons that people don't say things. And some of those reasons I can even understand, right? It's unfortunate. It's not cut and dry. I mean, people, look, I know that if somebody's going off near me, do you think it really helps me to escalate the situation? If I go and confront that person, is that going to help? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no, and people don't want to be the escalator. Ah, just let that guy bark, and then eventually he'll be done. That's the thought. So I get people who do that. And then there's also the thought process of like, well, hey, that's the away team fan. They only come here once this year. Just let them go. We won't have to deal with it anymore. I get that too. Sometimes you don't want to speak up because you think it might impact your kid who's on the team. So there are reasons why people don't say anything. And I can understand that. I don't necessarily think it makes you complicit if you don't want to escalate something. It's a really important topic, and it's a really hard topic. And I don't know what the right answer is. Ben, I give him credit that he's got the courage to go out and say what he thinks the answer is because I don't have a good answer right now. But what I would say is I think, I think the first step is administrators need to figure out, okay, what is our biggest problem? Is it... Opposing fan to opposing fan? Is it opposing fans to opposing players? Is it, uh, is it fans to officials? Is it fans to coaches? When we can identify which of those buckets is worse, is the worst right now, then I think we have a chance to start to figure out the solution. I don't think, I, I understand why people don't always say something. Yes, they should. Ben is right. They should. And I should have said that up higher. They should, but I get why they don't sometimes. But I think administrators need to ask the question, all right, what are we most concerned about here? Are we most concerned about fans, uh, opposing fan to opposing fan, opposing fan to player, fan to official or fan to coach? And when you figure that out, then we can start to have the dialogue about how to make things better. Because what we've got right now is unsettling, and it's untenable. We can't have it anymore. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. The full show podcast will be available shortly on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. Thanks to Ross Tucker. Thanks to Bobby Marks. More big guests coming up tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show. I think, fingers crossed, former Red Sox general manager Dan Duquette is stopping by tomorrow. I'm firming it up as we speak. The Radio Row at Home continues on tomorrow on DEV.